0: The BookThinger podcast is a lively discussion about romance books, culture, and Jean-Claude Van Damme. Aislinn Kearns joins Rudy and me for episode 70, recorded at the Romance Writers of Australia conference in Sydney. BookThinger would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this episode was recorded, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We also acknowledge the contributions of Australia's Indigenous people to our shared literary heritage.
1: Welcome to the book podcast talking about books we love especially romance kill fairy fast on the book thing
0: the podcast welcome back to the book Thingo podcast i'm cat mayo from bookthingo.com.au a Aussie blog for romance readers our final chat from rwa 2018 is with romance suspense author aishlyn kearns If you've ever wondered what it would be like to read a book about a taciturn hero who lives in the mountains, can kick serious butt, and makes his own soap, Aislinn has you covered. This episode, she educates Rudy and me about the romantic potential of 80s action films, and we assess our capacity to survive an apocalypse. You can find information on the titles and authors we talk about in this episode by going to bookthingo.com.au slash podcast and clicking on episode number 70.
1: When I first decided that I wanted to pursue writing professionally, I did all my research and decided that self-publishing was the way that I wanted to go. I can be a bit of a control freak. (laughs) Um, And I kind of wanted to just live and die by my own efforts. But at that point, I only had one finished manuscript and I knew that wasn't publishable. (laughs) So um, I booked a trip to a cabin in Austria, And stayed there for eight days and wrote the first like 30,000 words, which of the book that would eventually become Station Alpha, the first book in my Soldiering On series.
2: I was going to ask, is Station Alpha the one where the hero is in a wheelchair? Yes. Yeah. It was recommended quite a lot during the Rumb Book Club. The Disability Day. Disability Day. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious about that book
1: the whole Soldiering On series, each one is a wounded hero or heroine because I just love that trope and so I literally designed the series so I would get to write lots of them. The The conceit of the series is that uh, all these people come back from war and they've all been injured permanently in one way or another. So Duncan brings them together to form a company, a, a security company basically, so The first book features Paul and he's in a wheelchair after getting a bullet through the spine. You see a lot of, like, not a lot, but you see heroes in wheelchairs in contemporary. But, you know, given that romantic suspense was my genre, I really wanted to see if that was, you know, a possibility because there's no reason why someone in a wheelchair can't be a badass as well, you know. So, I and I wanted to do that in such a way that it wasn't like... Because he he can still look after her and he can still kill the bad guys and do all the things that a romantic suspense hero tends to do. He just does it while in a wheelchair. And I thought that was important and interesting from a writer's point of view as well.
2: Well, yeah, because we we see a lot of... Like, the wounded hero is is a big trope in romance, but typically when we're reading them, it's like, he's got a limp Mm. or, like, it's...
1: Yeah, I have a few, like, so the next one in the series, Blake is missing an arm. The the fourth one in the series is Sam. She has a limp and got a bullet through the chest so she doesn't breathe that well, you know. So it, I just kind of wanted to get that spectrum of things that can happen and I just, I wanted to, like you said, like the limp is the common one and I'm I'm sure that is a common injury, so it's like... I didn't want that to be the only thing that was focused on.
2: That was kind of the thing for me because, like, when we do think about people who've returned from war and, you know, or whatever, there's a huge range. Mm. The
0: other thing is you mentioned, um, I think it was the heroine,
2: Mm.
0: who had a gunshot wound and therefore it affects her breathing. So these things that, like, it's something that affects the way that she lives her. day. It has real repercussions. So
1: there's a scene where she has to get to the hero quickly And it it means that she has to run to get there, but it's much more difficult for her to do that than it might be for somebody else who didn't have, like, a collapsed lung at one point. You know, it's just sort of a side of things that you don't see in romance all the time. And as much as I love the wounded hero trope, sort of as an author, you want to step outside of that as much as you can while still adhering to everything that people love about that trope. And so have you had much feedback from readers on your books? So far, everything's been pretty positive, you know, um, particularly I think Paul is a favourite just because it's so unusual to, to see a hero in a wheelchair. And I, I have had some lovely praise um, in my portrayal of that, which has been really gratifying because I did really try and do my research on that. It's just, um, I, I think it's something that people are really responding to.
0: You also have – so one of the things that we have seen coming through your Twitter feed <laughs> is your intense love of action films. Mm-hmm. And I think Rudy has some thoughts about the relationship between your love for those action films and also the types of heroes that you mm-hmm. write in your books. Mm-hmm.
2: So I'm going to, like, author explain to you. And I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. like, as a, as a reader who has read some of your books, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what you do and then you're going to just confirm it. Just yeah, that's clear. how it works. <laughs> yes. Absolutely, yeah. Um. I find it so fascinating. Like you've clearly got this sort of intense love of 80s action films with people like Jean-Claude Van Damme and <laughs> Steven Seagal. And like, and then you turn around and write suspense romance novels that have like caregiver alpha heroes. Mm. And that, that's kind of the point that they are – like they're alpha heroes but they're almost the opposite of what I think of when I think of those mm. 80s action heroes. Yeah. In sort of personality, not skill. Skill wise, absolutely on board with them.
1: That's very intentional. My, okay, my favourite Jean Claude Van Damme movie is called Nowhere to Run and it features, it's the most romantic of his films, surprise, surprise. He's an ex con on the run and he uh, uh, arrives at this uh, widow's home and she's got two kids and basically he gets kind of adopted into their family, but they don't know that he's a con on the run. He's lovely, (laughs) you know? And and then it's similar, like, my favourite... I love Dolph Lundgren. And my favourite Dolph Lundgren film is called Joshua Tree or Army of One, depending on which country you're in, and ex-con on the run... (laughs) You know, he's got all that stuff but he's like super awkward around the heroine and it's just like, I love that so much. (laughs) So basically what I wanted to do was write the action heroes that I love with all that skill and drama and I can put in explosions and guns and all the cool stuff that I love to see on the screen. But I can do that with a hero who's not super macho and muscle bound and, you know, not even making that many quippy lines or anything like that. It's just like, you know, I wanted him to be like a really nice guy who could just happen to do all these super cool things. And it's that sort of dynamic for me. I don't know what it is about it, but that's like perfection for me where it's like, hero who could do anything and just happens to be just a normal awesome guy who you'd like want to fall in love with you know.
2: So Elijah from Stranded with the Mountain Man there is something that he does that I kind of didn't realize that I that I had such an issue with until he more specifically doesn't do it in that when he rescues the heroine and he takes her um She's essentially unconscious and he takes her back to his cabin and he does not undress her. Mm. He just keeps her in her clothes that she was wearing and sort of puts her to bed and covers her with, like, makes her warm, but he does not even once undress her. And I didn't realise how much I hated seeing heroes undress unconscious women until I saw a hero not do it.
1: And... It doesn't even occur to him to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, to me, like... I have a real thing about heroes taking advantage of their funnily enough. So it's like that... Like... Again, he's really sweet, but he can do really cool stuff. Like maybe not the military hero level of cool stuff, but he can make soap. That's cool, right? He can. <laughs> soap a big deal in romance <laughs> at the moment. Oh, God, I shouldn't have mentioned soap.
2: <laughs> trending soap issues. Yes, there are some trending soap
0: issues. <laughs> to me, it sounds like a combination of competence porn mm and hyper-masculinity, but without the toxic masculinity.
1: Well, I like to think that that's true. You know, it's just... I mean, it's tough because I'm not sure, like, people will go, necessarily go into romantic suspense expecting that they'll get what they get when they read my books. Like, they might... It is a genre very full of very alpha heroes and and not in the necessarily the caretaker way just like super domineering type stuff and like that's fine everyone it's got its place but it's just not something like I've tried (laughs) to write it and it just doesn't happen so I think it's just just one of those things where it's I can't go that far even if I wanted to so I've just accepted that I'm not going to (laughs)
2: Are you finding other authors that are sort of hitting that same pocket as you?
1: Well, I think that's why I'm so drawn to the wounded hero trope in romantic suspense is because it does give that hero the vulnerability that you want if you're avoiding the alpha thing. You know, if he's he's thinking he's not worthy and that kind of stuff, it, it does sort of mitigate a lot of that sort of the issues that I have with that hero trope and and I think that's why I am I gravitate towards tropes more than I gravitate towards authors because I know what to expect from tropes and I mean if the author breaks that trust then I'm not going to be very happy and probably won't read other books by then but you know so I mean there's um, Dana Martin has a series that she started releasing I think this year maybe late last year with a similar sort of vibe of the Uh, Wounded Heroes, Thread of Danger, I want to say. And I thought that was quite good. And, you know, honestly, I don't actually really read a lot of romantic suspense in the last year because everything's very terrible. And so I've gravitated towards a lot of rom-coms and stuff nowadays. But, yeah, I mean, there's certainly other people who are out there writing similar things, but it tends to be like one-off books as opposed to like a whole... Like, that's their brand, and I've kind of... This is my brand now at this point, apparently. So, yeah, I think that's, that's probably where I stand on that. But you know what? Romantic suspense... My, I did a post a long time ago of my favourite romantic suspense films on my website, and it is still my most visited page. And clearly people are Googling this daily, trying to find romantic suspense films... And there's literally only 12 (laughs) or so that I've found. And, like, because, I mean, you've got the requirement of it has to be, like, fairly equal in terms of action and uh, the romance, which most action movies, if they have a romance, is very secondary, if not thirdary. And and then the happy ending. Like, both of those Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren movies that I mentioned kind of have happy endings. Like the Dolph Lundgren movie, there's a, an additional scene that some versions have and some don't of the happy ending. <laughs> and the other one, it's just he's being arrested and taken away. And in the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, spoilers, sorry, spoiler alert, um, he again gets arrested and taken away, but she was like, I'll wait for you and I'll, I'll return to you, you know. So, like, I'm not even sure they count. And so there's... So few, and one of my favorites is actually a Sandra Brown novel that got adapted for a Lifetime. I want to say it was *Smokescreen*. I've watched that a few times now, and I actually think it's better than the book because, surprise, the hero is less of a dickhead. So, I mean, it starts with him kidnapping everyone, so he's not going to be great either way. But there, there is a huge market there, and I think. I'm glad that a lot of contemporary romances are getting adapted. I think that's definitely the first step. But I would like to see it go beyond that, Um, adding some explosions and some (laughs) gunfire, burning buildings, lots of action, skyscrapers falling, lots of stuff happening. I'd be right into that. And, you know, that is quite genuinely my dream, is to have, like, an entire library of romantic suspense films to suit my needs. (laughs) I just can't watch the same ten ones again and again and again.
0: So we will include a link to your seminal blog post on <laughs> good romantic suspense films. <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, who would you cast as the lead for your fantasy romantic suspense film?
1: This is hard. I mean, obviously, Chris Evans is the the ultimate choice. Uh, bearded Chris Evans. I need to clarify that. <laughs>
0: Um, okay, so to be honest, I cannot tell the Chris's <laughs> apart. So I am like now in my mind trying to think, which one is
1: he again?
2: My, my most unpopular opinion, Chris Evans is overrated.
1: I mean, physically he's fine. Like he's fairly standard white man, you know, re- reasonably attractive because he's an actor and they all are. And he has a genuineness to him. That is why I think <laughs> I like he, he just seems like a nice guy. And I think that's why I'd want him as one of my heroes, just because, like, he looks like an action hero, but he seems sweet, and that kind of is my my thing... He just is a dude with a dog. Well, he's an, he's an attractive white man with a dog. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that makes all the difference because, I mean, if it, Idris Elba maybe had, had a dog, do you think that would, like, up his whole oh, people, factor? Oh, people
2: would be a lot happier for him to be bonded if he had yes. a dog, yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, dogs are a thing. I'm not going to deny that.
2: We're digressing
0: a bit. I, I do, so I do have now. to say that uh, <laughs> one
1: of my readers did fan cast Idris Elba as Duncan and I was totally okay with that. So which book mm. was that for? Uh, so Duncan actually, Duncan and Mandy have uh, two novellas, and then the fi- well, it was the final book in the *Soldiering On* series, *Whiskey Eyed Woman*. Uh, now I've got a sixth one, so it's not anymore. But um, so it's the old final novel, it <laughs> is the previously final <laughs> novel. Um, so season one finale, yes. yes. So uh, they, yeah, so they started their journey in the the prequel novella *Soldiering On*, and then um, did. Um, uh, in the Christmas in Christmas Tango, the Die Hard homage that I wrote, uh, they have a happy for now ending, and then their final their their book Whiskey Eyed Woman is the the culmination of that arc. But they do have point of view scenes throughout the whole series, uh, just to carry it over. But if you want the full thing, you can read those.
2: Because you, I mean, I'm sure because you're a self publisher is a little bit different. But like going into a sixth book when you were originally only planning five. Mm. Must be like a bit of a...
1: I mean, it was an interesting choice because I did set up the series so that it could go on forever if I wanted it to because, I mean, it's a company and you can just have more people coming in and there's always going to be more wounded soldiers, you know. So um, I did do that on purpose and then um but Duncan and Mandy were always going to be book five and so I built up towards that and that was kind of a good place to to end it um after that and you know the the series was selling okay but you know I I was keen to try something new in my other action movie loves and so um, just shelved it for a while after I'd finished that and was like, OK, that, it's a set. So I'm, I'm happy with that. And then I uh, wrote the Underground Fighter series and then um, that totally tanked. Nobody bought it. So now I've gone on to write other things, uh, including a follow up because my sales magically picked up on the Soldiering On series. So I was like, oh, I can justify writing another one now.
2: Because oh, right. MMA was like a thing for you know a minute, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, look, I love underground fight club movies, going back to my love of action movies, and this was a very deliberate wanting to bring that trope and romance novels into one series. Like, and I marathoned all the movies in my collection, and I seriously have a lot. But they they are always shit about women. There is not one that has a decent female character in them. And obviously Asian movies have their problems. Like, I'm not going to deny that. So um, I really wanted to use that trope and make it more of a a romance novel thing. And um, actually the third book in that series is my best reviewed book. People who read it really dig it, but nobody read it. (laughs) Well, this is
0: the, the, the thing that we talk about when we talk about timing. Mm. It's so important and yet it's not something you can replicate and it's not something you can predict. Mm. It's something you kind of just have to live with and there's just Yeah, you've so got to so just random. keep
1: trying things and hoping for the best and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And in the case of my MMA series, I don't know what it is. I suspect the middling reviews of the second book tanked the third book, funnily enough people didn't like the heroin you know that happens and that's fine like it's the nature of the business and you know it kind of sucks that my best or best reviewed book is languishing so badly like it would be nice to have more people read that and Hell, maybe if they did, the, the reviews would be more even. But for now, I'm sitting on a five star average, so maybe I should just let it go. It's <laughs> The diamond in the rough. <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> do you do you have more affinity for your heroes versus your heroines, or do you e- sort of inhabit their um their fictional lives equally when you're writing?
1: I think I'm reasonably equal. Like I certainly attempt to, um, in terms of word count and scenes, like have equal amounts of you know, character development and everything in, in both. I think it's more just that I'm more particular in my heroes, like I have a particular type that I like writing, but with heroines I think I can be a little bit, like I a little bit more varied in the types that I write.
0: Do you plan the story around the hero or the heroine or the plot? or it, it, it Tropes depends? usually
1: is the trope I want to write. So for example, Stranded with the Mountain Man, which we mentioned earlier, I just wanted to write a Virgin Hero and that's so that's what I did. I also wanted to write a survival book in the mountains and so I just combined the two. That actually though the I I'd been playing with an idea for a while and my PA who also sells covers had a pre made cover and I just saw it and went, That's that's it, that's the one that's gonna be for that story and so as soon as I saw it I knew. Sometimes it's just things like that. It's like I'll see an image or a cover and be like, I know the story for that. You know, sometimes, you know, when I was researching that book, I had all these, like, this massive stack of books on survival and usually they're for, like... It wasn't just for the Arctic survival, there's a few like that, but it was like how to survive in multiple environments, like SAS tips and tricks, whatever. Um, So uh, I was reading about how to survive in the jungle and I was like, well, now that I have all these survival books, why don't I write a book set in the jungle to survive, you know, in the rainforest? So that was then my next book because I was like, well, I have them from the library, so why not? (laughs) Um, It's limited time, why not just do that? So, um, yeah, the, um, uh, it, it, really just, um, I, I plan the stories mostly around the tropes, but like both plot tropes and character tropes that I'm, I'm keen to explore. Um, and, you know, try and change it up a little bit and, you know, see, see what interests me in that moment and everything and, and what I, just whatever, whatever I'm where, in the, mood where for. the inspiration hits. I <laughs> That's guess. right. Yeah.
2: It's sort yeah. of occurs to me that you are perfectly placed to become a doomsday prepper.
1: Yeah. Look, <laughs> honestly, if I didn't live in like in a, ti- a tiny apartment in the middle of the city, probably would be like borderline hoarder. <laughs> prep situation yes yes also because like I have food problems like I I am intolerant to a lot of different stuff and it it can sometimes be hard to find stuff I can eat and I do tend to like buy in bulk when I find (laughs) stuff and I think if I just went too far in one direction I totally so um given all my research if there is an apocalypse you know where to come.
0: Actually are there many dystopian novels where the characters have food intolerance and therefore have to, you know, you know, I can't think of
1: one, but I have considered that multiple times because I'm like, you know what? Like the other day there was a water leak nearby. Right. And they turned off all the water in our apartment block to, to fix it. And with no warning. And suddenly I was like, well, I'm fucked now. I have no water to drink. And it was just like, it's amazing. Thinking things like that. Oh my God, how quickly society could crumble just like if they turn the water off we'd all just go fucking nuts you know i
2: yeah i was living in a rural town about a year and a half ago and the dam that all of our water came from had an algae bloom so our water wasn't safe to drink and not even from boiling and i just walking into the supermarket and seeing the water aisle just demolished it felt like I was in an apocalyptic yeah. film. Like it was one of those moments.
1: And so for me, like I'm vegan, gluten free, and nut free, right? So it's tough, but it means like in an apocalypse situation, like we're totally off topic. Anyway, in an apocalypse, I feel situation, like we're giving you inspiration for no, your on next a topic. Topic series, actually. <laughs> so, like in an apocalypse situation, I have regularly thought like, what would I eat? Because I. And I also am not very good with preservatives so just like cans of beans would literally be like because the veggies would go pretty quick and that's kind of like my main source of food. So it would be like beans and lentils and that I like I would maybe rice you know if I can find that. But, you know, ten years down the track would we have crops like so I, Aishlin, think about-
0: <laughs> I have a friend who is allergic to beans and lentils. So oh, I wow. feel like if you yeah. pair these two
2: characters, <laughs> <laughs> it would be perfect.
0: <laughs> that would be
2: amazing. <laughs> Isn't the thing to kind of find somebody that is like almost the exact opposite?
1: So you don't have to to fight over the rations. Oh, oh, I
0: was the tension. I was still on the phone. The story, (laughs) but also now you're not
1: fighting over (laughs)
2: rations. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Yeah, well, you know, I would totally just kill somebody for the beans if I had to, so... If I don't have to do that, that's a bonus.
0: <laughs> I've got this picture of like Shaun of the Dead, but sort of in the supermarket, fighting
2: over the beans and yeah. the canned goods. Like yeah. I can't have that, but I, I can would have that.
1: that. Just stay away from the beans.
2: <laughs> but like Shaun of the Dead is part of, um, it's the Cornetto trilogy. Like yes. it, it revolves, or not revolves, but it's very important to have a Cornetto in in any of those films I'm so allergic like, to cornettos so I oh. can't do it
1: maybe I could use it as a weapon just stab somebody in the throat <laughs> there we go. with a cornetto. <laughs> someone's using it as a weapon against you to keep them <laughs> yeah <they're>, stay
0: back <laughs> yeah yeah I have yeah. nuts oh my goodness I feel like we digressed quite <laughs> like, yeah. we aggressively quite over there. A tangent,
1: Look, we've ooh, gone but. in
2: some really interesting directions
0: here. It's all
2: fun though.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us at the Book Thingo podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That's all for this episode. Huge thanks to our audio producer, Rudy Bremer, who would like me to take this time to remind you about hashtag SoapDick, as if you'd ever forget. You can find the show notes for episode 70 at bookthingo.com.au slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other listeners like you find the show. If you'd rather be direct, find us on Twitter or Facebook, like Claire did when she told Rudy, and only Rudy, that the Book Thingo podcasts that you speak on are among my favourites of all time. Claire, you're in for a treat, because in the next episode... Rudy and the other BookThingo bloggers will delve into their TBR pile to share some of the books they just can't seem to get through. Hearts will be broken, secrets will be revealed, and Gabby will almost certainly cry. In the meantime, please visit us at bookthingo.com.au and have a fabulous fortnight of reading. Yeah, I know. I remember we did talk about something... Dick shaped soap, is that the one? Yeah, oh, because <laughs> this came out in that book book box.